Like I mentioned last Wednesday, we I, I was with the youth at this great pumpkin roll. Um, I, I watched a few other videos of pumpkin rolls that people had, and they were pretty pretty tame in comparison. Uh, you know, the pumpkin you rolled it down the hill, you watched to see how far it went. Um, this one not. Not only did they have some very large pumpkins, but the hill was extremely steep and very, very long. And the pumpkins just kept on going and speeding up, speeding up, speeding up until all of a sudden, I don't know if it was by the, the, the inertia, the force outward, or if it was what they hit, but they just, like, like most of them did not make it to the bottom of the hill. There was like pieces of pumpkin flying like 30 feet in the air. It was, it was quite a spectacle. So um, I, I tried to see if I could find a video of it, if anybody had one. I, had, I wasn't able to find one, but um, it was something. So along with the craziness of rolling these pumpkins down the hill, there was also a time of worship, and there was a speaker that shared his testimony. And during the worship, the, the person leading worship paused between songs, and he shared a little bit about Romans 8 which is where we happen to be. So um, he, he talked about Romans 1, and he described uh, Romans 8, chapter 1. Uh, he described it as a decree. He said just as a, as a king would pass out decrees that would be beyond the uh, contest of anybody in the kingdom, that, that when he issues a decree, it would be absolute. God issues a decree in Romans 8, chapter 1, and says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And that decree is followed by a second one that says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So through faith in Jesus, not only do we have no obligation because we're freed from the sinful nature, we're freed by the power of the spirit, but we are also free to walk in the spirit. And that was kind of the 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 crux or the, the, the meat of, of the first half of, of chapter 8. We talked about walking in the Spirit, being free to walk in the Spirit. And that was really the story that was portrayed by the speaker that they had at this uh, youth event. Uh, the, the person's name that spoke was Rich Sherber. Um, he, uh, as a teenager, grew up in the 60s. So some of you were there Around that time, I, I don't know about the 60s, but he, in the 60s, he battled drugs and alcohol, which led to arrests and failures in school. And then he found Jesus, or Jesus found him. He was standing beside his car waiting to try and sell some drugs when some street evangelists came and started talking to him and gave him a Bible. And this, the Spirit of God came so heavy on him, he, he repented, he turned to the Lord, and his life was never the same. He, he kept on following. He felt called to the ministry, so he, he, he pursued uh, Christian education. And, and then he felt called to go and do street ministry himself. So he went and he got connected with an organization that was helping uh, kids that were addicted to drugs like he was. Uh, he felt called to go to South Africa. He became a missionary. He became a pastor, became a missionary, uh, ended up serving in South Africa during the apartheid, which uh, I don't know a lot about, but I know it's really bad. It was a horrible, worst, bloodiest time in, in uh, South African history. And uh, so he was there during that. He came back to America, and, uh, and he was offered this opportunity to take over, uh, an opportunity is maybe not the right word, but to take over a uh, an organization that had started um, that was called Teen Challenge, Minnesota Teen Challenge. And at that point, the ministry was $30,000 in debt. This is in 73 when, you know, uh, I believe it was 73 or maybe, no, got my notes wrong. I think it was in maybe in 80s. Anyway, 81, 81. Anyway, um, but $30,000 was even more back then. And so anyways, they were $30,000 in debt, didn't really have anything to their, their names. They, were, they were, uh, had three lawsuits against them because of some moral failings of the previous leader, and they were asked to come and take over it. They had no ability to pay them a salary, but said, could you, <laughs> could you head up this organization? And they felt, especially by the leading of the Spirit on his wife, felt like this is what we need to do. We need to be a part of this. And now it's grown to be um, this this great um, program that is bringing all kinds of people out of drug and alcohol and leading them to Christ. It's the largest residential treatment program in Minnesota. It serves over around 900 people a day. Over 3,000 people a year are affected by this program. And uh, it was just so cool to see this life 
of this man walking in the Spirit and what God can do if you're walking in the Spirit. Uh, it was just a great example of the beginning of Romans 8 being walked out. So just the way it all tied together and the fact that we're in it, I just thought it was really cool. Um, so yeah, he went from being a drug dealer to somebody bringing gospel, the gospel message to thousands across the globe. So today, we're going to be moving from that first half of walking in the Spirit. We're not leaving it. We're bringing it with us. But we're moving into the second half. Um, and, but we're going to start with the last two verses that we ended with last week. And, and as we're going through this, um, keep in mind, this is, this is all going to conclude with, not conclude necessarily, but Paul's going to say eventually, he's going to say, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? And it's going to be like, what are these things? So we're, that's the first half of Romans 8. Maybe it's all of Romans 8. I don't know what all he's referring to, but for sure it's referring to the stuff that we're going to be reading today. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? So that is in the, in the, that's what we're headed towards, that, that sort of response to what we're going to read. So Romans 8, uh, verses 15 through 16 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. We call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So we are God's children. We are his dearly loved children. Even greater than our earthly fathers could love us, God loves us more. He's got greater patience. He's got greater kindness. He shows us greater love, greater forgiveness, greater grace. And the list goes on and on. Um, this last week, I heard a story about a man who, uh, whose son started playing football. And, and his son had played other sports, but he said football was different. The way they were coached was different. It just seemed a little bit more, almost like a boot camp. His, his kid was taught to uh, say, yes, sir, when he was given you know, instructions by the coach. And that became such an uh, ingrained thing in him through his training that he, he brought that home. Eventually, his dad was asking him stuff, and he would reply, yes, sir, just kind of out of habit. And his dad had to say, I, I have to admit, I, I kind of like that. Kind of like that, you know, to have my son, you know, respond with that sort of respect. But on the flip side of that, his father didn't just want him to always respond, yes, sir. Like, yes, sir, and do. Yes, sir, and do. He still wanted to be his father. He still wanted to be his dearly loved father. He wanted him to still feel comfortable to come and call him daddy. Probably not daddy if he's, you know, in junior high or high school, but, but dad and to be able to come to him as a loving father. And so... Um, that's the way God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be fearful slaves that only respond, yes, sir, but he wants us to also know that, that he is our loving father. Um, we can come to him as children come to their daddy. As dearly loved children adopted into his family with full rights, we have become heirs of God, heirs of the glory of God. Um, he wants to pass on to us good things. So reading Romans 8, verses 17 through 18, he says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his sufferings. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will, he will reveal to us later. So verse 17 started with, Since we are his children, we are heirs together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You don't really hear people use the word heir very often talking about common folks. You know, um, I've never considered myself to be an heir to my parents' vast fortune. I would never, I, I would never use that, that kind of terminology. Um, it, it seems like that's always used when you're talking about royal or, or the really wealthy that you would use the word heir, and why is that? Because somebody who's going to inherit great wealth or great power, like that's a significant descriptor of who they are. And so it's notable. People would use that sort of terminology with them. If you knew somebody who would one day become the, the owner of Ford Motor Company, and you were describing this person to somebody who didn't know him, you know, hey, this is my friend Tom, you know, he's going to be the owner of, you know, like, that might be something you'd mention that he's, you know, who his father is and what he's, what he's um, 
going to be growing up into. Um, even though it hasn't happened yet, it's still a significant piece of who he is. He is going to inherit the, the glory of the owner of Ford, which includes an amassed wealth, all the assets, the value of the brand, power of influence both within the company, and, and these, you know, these huge corporations have power even within the government to be able to uh, shift things because of their economic uh, abilities and stuff like that. But to be an heir to that seems like a huge thing. But the only reason why that person is an heir to all of that is because they are a child of the owner. It, it's not something that was going to be passed on to anybody else. It's because they're a child of the owner that they are heirs of that glory. So how much greater is the glory of our God that we are heirs of? We are heirs of God's glory. God, this is the God that made the heavens. He made the earth, everything that you see and that you... You're standing on everything that you, you, you touch and experience, everything in the heavens God made, and he's still in control of it. He didn't make it, and now it's, it's a free-for-all. God is still in control. On top of that, there's, there's wonders that we can't even imagine that we haven't seen yet. We read about heaven, and we read about streets of gold and crystal seas and these mansions, and we can, we can try and imagine, but we'll never be able to fully grasp in this life what that's going to look like. We read about angelic creatures that, that sound like there's something out of a sci-fi movie. You know, there's these beings that, we, that are unlike anything we've ever seen. And then included in this glory, we have new bodies that we're going to receive. They're, they're going to be better than the ones we have. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero, to have superpowers? Like, I don't know exactly what this new body is going to be like, but I know that it's, it's not going to have pain, it's not going to have fatigue, it's not going to get sick, it's not going to die. Um, some people speculate, you know, because Jesus and his new body was able to go into this building with locked doors that maybe somehow we'll be able to go through walls or, or maybe be able to teleport with a thought. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but we are going to have an invincible, internal body, one that's not going to get broken or hurt. Um, this is all part of experiencing the fullness of God's glory. So with that thought in mind of being heirs to God's glory, we read on to the second part of verse 17 where it said that we, but if we share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing in compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. The New King James Version says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So the word consider, <clears throat> there's a word that I have uh, mentioned in the past. Uh, it's a Greek word, logizomai. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but if I wouldn't say that, you'd think I had it right. Uh, so logizomai means to reason to a logical conclusion. It is often thought of as a as an accounting term, like you take and figure in all of your income and all of your expenses and, and see what the result is. So Paul is saying when you look at the sufferings, when, when, and he's doing this, he's, he's thinking of all the sufferings that he's had and, and all the sufferings that he may experience in the future, and he says, when I reason that all out, it's nothing compared to the glory of God. It's not even worth mentioning. It's kind of like... Um, if you're accruing 2% interest on, on some money in the bank, let's say you have $10,000.53 in the bank and you're accruing 2% interest on it and at the end of the year you see that you accrued $200.01. That's what it says on your statement. If you're reading your statement and you're, you're, somebody's near you, you might think, oh, look, we got 200 extra dollars. You'd probably just drop that one cent. You probably wouldn't even mention it. Um, now, if you did the math you'd find out that, that your actual interest on that was $2,000.01.06. But, but that .06 was so insignificant that the bank didn't even put it on their statement. And that is what our suffering is. It's, 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 it's .06 of a cent. Like, it's, it's nothing. And, and it's even smaller than that, as we'll see as we move forward. 
When we reason it out, when we consider the greatness of the glory of God, all that stuff I mentioned, and I couldn't even, I mean, I can't even begin to, to describe or to know what the, the actual glory of God is that we're going to experience, um, that we're going to be, that we're heirs of. But when we consider the greatness of the glory of God, that we're heirs of the King of Kings, uh, we're going to share in this. We have to um, figure out, are we reasoning are we looking at our sufferings, reasoning it against God's kingdom and this glory, or are we just reasoning it from a, reasoning it from a earthly perspective? Um, if our logizomai if, is only taken in account the, our life from zero to dead, then any suffering that you experience from zero to dead takes away from the total joy. Right, if you were for uh, doing the accounting here, and we're figuring out any suffering is going to result in less joy and experience. So we're, we want to, you know, it, all of a sudden that suffering has value because it takes away from our life. But when we look at it in the eyes of eternity, when we look at it with with the glory that we're going to see and that that glory is going to last forever, we find out that there is no end to the zeros. Before that six, I mean, if, if your other value were growing infinitely, that would make the result infinitely smaller. When you look at it in comparison, there's infinite number of zeros. That, that suffering becomes nothing because the glory is not only amazing, but it's eternal. It's eternal. Peter encourages us to arm ourselves with that knowledge. In uh, 1 Peter 4.1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we have to arm ourselves. Christ suffered, but he, his mind was armed with the glory that was ahead. We, we see this in Hebrews 12.2. We read that Jesus' mind was armed with the joy that was awaiting him. Um, as the first of many heirs of the glory of God. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2 through verse 4, it says, we do this, and, and the this is that we throw off our sinful nature. We throw off sin and we run the race for God with endurance. So we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. It, its shame didn't have value anymore because he was looking at it in light of the joy awaiting him. So he disregarded its shame and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all of the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. When you reason that out, you know, you look at all of the, I mean, we can see and think about all that he endured, but still he looked at the joy awaiting him and it, and it all became nothing. He was, he was, he did it with, with eager anticipation of the joy awaiting him. He did it uh, with, a, with an eye on the prize and what God had called him to and knowing what the result would be. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. And when we think of all that Jesus endured and that he still saw the joy as far outweighing the suffering, then we can have that same kind of mind knowing that the suffering that we experience will not be the suffering that Christ experienced and we're going to experience a joy that makes that suffering seem small. Seems like nothing. There is a glory that we can't imagine that we are going to experience. We have to be armed with that knowledge because suffering in this life is inevitable. We will suffer not only because we are living in perishable bodies, not only because mankind is sinful and does bad things, um, that, that they do things that will hurt each other, but we're also going to suffer because we're Christians. It is, and it's that suffering that we learn in the Bible that, that we can actually rejoice in even more. 
that there is a return on investment that is exponential when we suffer, when we suffer for Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, this, uh, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't have to look at the troubles we see, we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Isn't that incredible? Oh, that's a good, that's a good verse. I like that. The glory that we will share in vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. Uh, jumping ahead, like I said, Paul says in verse 31, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? What can we say about such wonderful things as these? That there is a glory out there, there is a, uh, a return on investment that vastly outweighs anything that we could experience. If God is for us, who can be against us? We looked uh, a little bit at First uh, Peter chapter four. We're going to jump ahead just a few more verses to uh, verse twelve through fourteen. It says, "Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial which you which is to try you, as though something strange happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy." If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And their part, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So this is the weapon that we must be armed with, that whatever is thrown at us, thrown at us in this life, especially for the name of Christ, will result in a glory that is beyond compare. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, said of war, he said that morale is the single factor, is, a, is the greatest single factor in success in war. Morale is the greatest single factor in success in war. If we are not holding on to hope, if we don't see the future victory, if, we, if, our, if our eyes are from zero to dead, you know, we're not going to have much morale to be able to walk in the spirit and to be able to follow, you know, what God has planned for us in this life. We're going to be trying to do anything we can to minimize our own suffering, you know, and, you know, just bunker down. But God can use us if we have our eyes on hope, if we have our morale encouraged because we fixed on a glory that is to come, then we can walk in the spirit. Continuing on in Romans, in verse 19, says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. This uh, waiting eagerly, this, the, the waiting eagerly is like one Greek word, and it has a, it has a literal definition, which, which kind of means to, like, head, head outstretched. And so if you can imagine like your kids waiting for grandpa and grandma to come over on Christmas time or something and they, they're up at the window and they're trying to look and see this eager anticipation waiting to see if grandpa and grandma are here. If you've ever disturbed a nest of birds, you know, the babies and, and you know, you shake the branch a little and they think mama's there and they stick their heads up, you know, and beaks are wide open just waiting to receive. That's the kind of eager anticipation that we can, that we see here. So why is it that creation is eagerly anticipating? It, may, it seems kind of weird to think of creation as, as uh, having emotions or desires. But we can kind of see this, this language throughout Scripture where, where the earth is, is kind of personified. In Luke, Jesus said that if we don't praise, that the, earth, that the rocks will cry out. Uh, in First Chronicles, David wrote in this song of thanksgiving, he wrote, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. 
the sea and everything in it shouting praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. The earth has been subject to the curse. It's not what it once was. When God first created it, it was good. And there's a longing, there's a, whether there's a decay in it, and, and, and in, the, in the view of that decay, you can only imagine that it longs to be restored back to its original condition. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said they were good, but then Adam sinned. And God said to Adam, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. Earth was cursed because of the sin of man. All of your life, you'll struggle and scr- to scratch a living from it. So it was a, it was a repercussion of sin. Uh, continuing on in uh, Romans in verse 20, it says, against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So you notice that both uh, creation and we as believers, we're both groaning. We both are longing for this future day that all of the promises that God has made will be fulfilled. Now, neither of these groanings are without hope. But as someone who has great hope, you see part of the description there was that the, the creation groans as, it, as someone in childbirth. And... Uh, I had the privilege of being able to stand by my wife as she gave birth to our three children and, and I got to see her press through pain knowing that there was a great reward on the other side and once that reward was fulfilled, once that baby was put in her arms, that, that pain, that experience diminished. Now, now the tension was on the reward. Um, everything else paled in comparison. We as believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory. So the creation is, is groaning, but, but there's a promise of, of something coming from these labor pains that it's experiencing. And we have a taste, we have a foretaste of something that's to come. We have the Holy Spirit in us as a foretaste of future glory. So we, it's, it's like um, if you're making a cake, and you, and you get to lick the batter off the spoon, you get a little bit of a taste of what's to come. The taste is in your mouth. The, the cake goes in the oven. It's not out yet, but you can smell it. You know, you still have a little bit of that flavor. You know that there's something yet to come. We've tasted it, but it's not time yet. Romans eight twenty four. We were given this hope when we were saved. We were given this foretaste when we were saved. If we had already, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Patiently and confidently. There's a, a story that you may have heard before that I was reminded of by a post that uh, Alicia shared with us, uh, or shared on Facebook, not with us, but I read it on Facebook. And, um, and it was about a woman who had been diagnosed with a deadly illness and had been given three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the service, which scriptures she want, wanted read, uh, what outfit she wanted to be buried in. The woman also told her pastor that she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. Everything was in order and the pastor was preparing to leave when the woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. So there's one more thing, she said excitedly. excitedly. 
Uh, this is very important. The young woman continued, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the woman, not knowing quite what to say. And she says, does this surprise you? And the woman asked, the woman asked him, uh, and he responded saying, well, to be honest, I'm, I'm a little puzzled by your request. The woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I, was always, I always remember when the dishes for the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, you can keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming. A velvety chocolate cake or a deep dish apple pie. Something wonderful with substance was coming. The pastor's eyes, oh, so anyways, she said, uh, so I want people to see me laying there in the casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder what's with the fork. And then I want you to tell them, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. The pastor's eyes were welled up with tears of joy as he hugged the woman goodbye, and he knew this would be one of the last times that he would see her before her death. But he also knew that the woman had a better grasp on heaven than he did. She knew something better was coming. We were given this hope in eight, eight, uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 24 said that we were given this hope when we were saved. We were given this hope. There's something better coming, coming. And we were given this hope. We were given this foretaste when we were saved that whatever suffering in we experience, whether in life or in death, it's just more evidence of how much greater the promise is. A penny may seem significant to somebody who only has two cents. But when you compare it to billions of dollars, it, it, it loses all value. We know that our suffering is not even worthy of comparison. So, if you have suffered much in life, or if you think about people like Paul who were beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and imprisoned and beheaded, if that suffering is not worthy of comparison, how great is the future that God, our dearly <laughs> loving Heavenly Father, has for us? What is it that, he, that we are heirs to in Christ that we are going to experience? What should we say? I mean, can you imagine all of that suffering of Paul sitting on, you know, imagine one of these old scales, you know, I, I'm picturing those like kind of cup-shaped things and, and chains hanging down and you put all of that suffering on one side. What would have to be on the other side to make it seem like there's not even anything there? Like, it's, it's, it's incredible. I think I had my hands backwards. But what shall we say about such wonderful things as these, that there's something so great we can't even fathom that's ahead of us? So creation groans in eager anticipation of being free from the curse. We as believers groan in anticipation of the fullness of God's glory that we're one day going to share in. And as we continue in verse 8, or chapter 8, uh, we see that the Holy Spirit also groans, but not in the same way that we groan. He's not groaning for himself, he's groaning on our behalf. Uh, verse 26 through 27 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So this particular word for, I'm mentioning a lot of Greek here today. Uh, hope you don't mind it. I, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just, I just read the definitions that they give me online. So there's a lot of research tools from people smarter than me that can say, because you know, the Greek words just don't, sometimes they've got a fuller meaning than what we can get from one English word. Uh, if, if they try to put the full definition of each word in there, our Bible would be, you know, unreadable. We lose the point before we got to the next verse. Um, but uh, this particular word for groan um, is slightly different than the other two. Part of its definition is that it's a, it's a groaning brought on by circumstances that cause great pressure. 
And so where is this pressure coming from that's causing this groaning? Um, it's coming from our need, from our, from, from our lack. It talks about our weakness in there. Um, it's, it's something that we have, a, we have a pain or we have a suffering or we have a desire or a passion that we don't know what to do with um, and we're, we're at a loss. And the Holy Spirit has been joined with us. We become one with the Spirit. When we became saved, we got a new nature in us and we're joined with the Spirit. And so the Spirit is in us and it senses that and it prays on our behalf. I shouldn't say it. He prays on our behalf. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. It is from... Um, So there's this, this pressure that's coming and it says the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. And, and I guess that's the part that really struck me is, you know, the fa- why, why is that in there? Why does it say the Father who knows all hearts? Like why is that, why is that in that spot? And it's just because the Holy Spirit is, is joined with us. He, the Holy Spirit is speaking from, an, from a perspective or a, a position of being joined with us and knowing our hearts and, and expressing that to the Father. He intercedes on our behalf. When we're joined with the Holy Spirit, he hears our hearts cry and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. But it's actually, it's, it's better than just praying whatever our desire is or whatever our heart's need is uh, because we don't have the words, uh, because we are weak. Our prayers, if we were to pray them or if the Holy Spirit was to pray our prayers for us, they might not actually be in line with the will of God. But it's better than that because the Holy Spirit knows the will of God, and he pleads the will of God. He prays according to and in alignment with God's best plan. We don't have the best plan. Like, if the Holy Spirit pleaded our plan, uh, it, it, it may turn out for, it may not turn out for good. It might turn out for bad. And so um, the Holy Spirit pleads for us according to our needs, but according to God's perfect fulfillment perfect answer to those things that are happening. He prays in perfect harmony with God's own will. What better way to make sure that your prayer is going to be answered than to pray according to what God wants? Like if I wanted something as a child, if I wanted something from my parents and my dad already wanted to give it to me, if I asked him for it, I'd be pretty sure to get what I was asking for because it was already his desire to do so. So the Holy Spirit is praying according to God's will. And uh, we can see the result of that type of intercession when we move on to the very next verse. Verse 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So we're praying according to his will, and God causes those things to work together for our good. Now he causes, he's going to respond in a way that it's going to work together for our good. And that's by us, it's the... We're children of God. It's those who are called according to his purposes. We're, he's talking about the children of God. It's not for everybody, but anybody can be a child of God. So it, you have to get into that position of child of God, and that's open. We have the spirit of the living God in us and join with us. He is moved by our hurts, longings, and passions to pray according to the Father's will for us. And his will is good. And if anybody knows what good is, it's God, right? He created all of creation and was able to say, it is good. God knows what good is. So when we read that God causes everything to work for the good, it's not always our good, but it is God's good. Spirit might not be praying exactly what you're thinking. I feel like sometimes we can uh, take this verse out of context or it can be misunderstood, uh, but we all know from experience that, that this doesn't mean that uh, if you pray for something or if, that, that if you desire something, you're going to get what you consider good. Like sometimes it doesn't, come, it doesn't work out the way that you think it should. And so the verse is not a guarantee that you're going to get what you want or it's going to turn out the way you think it should. It guarantees that as God's children, with him being our father, 
him being in a position to be able to do all things and see all things and know all things, and also us being in, in a position of his dearly loved children, he is going to make sure that for his kids, it's going to work out for the best. Whether, we, whether there's some suffering now or not, you remember there's a bazillion zeros before the, <laughs> before the suffering in comparison to what is to come. And so he's, he may even, I don't think I used this, I don't think I ended up using this quote, but there was um, Johnny Erickson Tata, if you were familiar with her, um, she said something about how God will sometimes use what he hates to, um, to achieve what he loves. And so God doesn't, doesn't love pain, he doesn't love suffering, but if, if it will bring somebody to salvation, if it, will, um, if, it will, if it will guide us in a path that's going to be better for us in the long run, if it's going to save us from, from things that we were going to trip up in and fall into in the future, like, you know, let it be so. And that's what, that's what she says. She became a quadriplegic at the age of 17 from a diving accident. And, and she considers that to be one of, her great, one of the greatest mercies in her life. That, that that happened because it steered her in a way that she was able to do great things for the kingdom of God that she would not have focused on had that not happened. And she's seen uh, so many people saved and encouraged in their faith because of that. So when we experience those things, it really comes down to, you know, how are we viewing it? Are we viewing it in a kingdom view? or in a zero-to-death kind of view. Worship team, I'm going to ask you to come at this time. Verse 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. We've been chosen and we've been called not just from our old way, but to a new life that's empowered by the Spirit. And we've been given a foretaste of future glory. One last thought uh, before I close, in recent years, it seems that uh, Christians have come to a place where they may be given up hope. I'm not saying everybody has, but a lot of Christians, I feel like, have kind of given up hope. We see all the chaos and the immorality and, and the, the direction that the culture seems to be going, and we th- can kind of get the feeling that it's only going to get worse from here. And, uh, and you can kind of just give up thinking, you know, I'm just going to hunker down in my bunker until it's over. But here's the deal. If, if this is the end, if the end is near, then we have all the more reason to rejoice and be excited because we are about to experience God's glory. And all of this is going to pale. And, and there's a limited amount of time for us to use to bring that to others. We, we, we can share in God's glory and it's not going to be minimized. God, God's glory doesn't, you know, if we get too many children in the kingdom of God, we're going to get less. That's not how it works. <laughs> but, but how great to be found in those last days out there doing the work of the king. So if this is the end, it's all the more reason to be moving forward. And if this is not the end, then we should be all the more hopeful that God might again move in a powerful way and bring revival and restoration. Why would we give up if it's not the end? You know, so, so we don't want to give up if it is the end, and we don't want to give up if it's not the end. So we, we, if, with the, our minds focused on this glory that's ahead, minimizing whatever suffering and whatever, and not even just the suffering, but even minimizing the value of the things that we enjoy. Like sometimes we need to kind of put some of those things aside. Not that we can't do fun things and enjoy life, like that's not what I'm saying, but, but if it's taking up so much time that we're not doing anything that, that's, that's kingdom focused, then maybe we need to reevaluate a little bit. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, growing up in the 80s, there was a Sunday school song that we used to sing that I'm in the Lord's army. You know, I'm in, I don't know if you're, you know, 
it was it was a it was a fun song for kids and it kind of you know it's a it's a confident sort of song like you're you don't think of an army as being you know down you think of being powerful and and encouraged and you know motivated and so then uh in the 90s uh there's a christian artist named carmen and he came out with a song that was popular at the time called god's got an army and uh and that song came to my mind as i was writing this and it it the the verses go like this it says God's got an army not afraid to fight, soldiers of the cross and children of the light, warriors of righteousness with healing in their hands. God's got an army marching through the land. And jump into verse two, it says, we're a people with ears to hear and hearts to respond to the spiritual needs of the nation. We're a showcase of what he'll do when we are strong to a whole generation. We're a showcase to a whole generation of what he'll do when we are strong in Jesus. The world won't be the same tomorrow because we're here today. The kingdom of hell is going to feel sorrow because our war cry is worship and praise. Amen. That's good. That's good. Like you don't sing worship and praise for very long (laughs) when you are down because when you start worshiping and praising, you're not down anymore. But praise well, praise is a, is a confidence. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that's offered in, in a powerful hope, knowing what the end is, knowing that victory is in sight, that victory is guaranteed. We give praise knowing that our God is God. Um, I love that uh, the kingdom of hell is going to feel sorrow because the work I is worship and praise. I don't know how many people have ever experienced that, but I've had some, some powerful experiences of how uh, in worship the enemy has been sent running, how there's been times where I felt defeated and in praise and worship for no particular reason, all of a sudden I'm filled with joy. Nothing changed. My circumstance didn't change, but in worship and praise, whatever it was that was causing me to fear or have doubt was gone in worship and praise. That's our war cry. Not only does it send the enemy running, but it's an opportunity for us to connect with God, to, to taste again that, that glory that is to come, to get that, <laughs> that lick off that spoon, to get that taste in our mouth of the glory. When we praise and worship, we get to experience time with God. We connect with God. God inhabits those praises. Generations... Uh, before me, back, I don't know if anyone was back in 1865. Nobody's back that far. <laughs> there was a hymn called uh, Onward Christian Sh- Soldier, which was written and it carried kind of the same sort of message and marching orders, um, you know, with this idea of marching confidently into battle. The second verse said, At the sign of triumph, Satan's host, host doth flee. On then, Christian sh- soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voice loud, your anthems raise. So let's stand. We're going to sing a last song. Let's sing this song in praise and worship, uh, celebrating that the victory is won, celebrating that we are heirs of God to his great glory, and and just in, in uh, connection with the spirit that is in us that we would taste again a little bit of that glory that is to come. So that we fix our eyes on you, Lord. Everything else fades away, Lord. Everything else fades away in comparison, Lord. Lord, we are so thankful. Lord, I ask that you to help us to, to hold on to that taste as we walk through uh, the days and the weeks, Lord God, that we would um, walk in confidence, walk in hope, Walk not in fear, not feeling downcast, not feeling like uh, doom and gloom, the end is near, Lord, but that we are part of a victorious army that has been called to march through this land with the gospel message that is going to bring hope and life to those who are lost, be, whether they be lost like Rich was in, in, in drugs and alcohol, his life headed nowhere, Lord, that, that, that we can bring that kind of about face in the message of Jesus Christ, 
that, that by your spirit entering in, a life can be led into uh, a life that is full of hope and joy, and the result is, is that that life and joy is spread to others. Lord, help us to walk in the spirit. Help us to sense your leading. Lord, we, we are, we're at a loss uh, for, for understanding what is, is to come, Lord. And in those moments, we know that your spirit pleads with us, Lord. So I just pray that as a church, that, that you would that you would pray on our behalf, that your Holy Spirit would pray with us, offering that perfect prayer in harmony with God's will for how you might use us as a body of believers that would reach out into a world that is dark and dying and a world that is, is lost, a world that is, um, doesn't know what truth is, that doesn't see that there's any hope. Lord, I just pray that, uh, that by your spirit, that, uh, that your prayer, that these prayers would be heard, that the prayer of your spirit would be heard, and that you would uh, release your spirit into this body, Lord, um, giving us wisdom, uh, giving us direction, Lord, giving us power to speak the right words at the right time, power to uh, pray for those who are sick and to see them healed, Lord, power to speak into the very circumstances that they are living in and see transformation happen. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, carrying the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of God with your eyes fixed on the glory that is to come. Amen. Amen.